Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. When you think about a school, you most likely think of it as a place where students learn. However, for students to have the best learning experience, teachers also need to continuously improve their skills. Like other professionals, teachers need to be given quality resources, support, and time to continuously update their skills. There is a wealth of knowledge that can be gained from the practice of other teachers, as well as from research. Unfortunately, often research and practice in education are not linked. In this episode, we will discuss the importance of having research-informed professional development for teachers, and how an organization in New Zealand is bridging the gap between research and practice. Dr. Nina Hood is a senior lecturer at the Faculty of Education at the University of Auckland in New Zealand. Her research is focused on the role that digital technologies can play in supporting and enhancing education. Nina is also the founder of the Education Hub, an organization based in New Zealand and dedicated to bridging the gap between research and practice in education. Nina started her career as a secondary teacher in New Zealand before she moved to the UK to undertake a Master's in Learning and Technology and a PhD in Education at the University of Oxford. After returning to New Zealand, And while being a lecturer at the University of Auckland, Nina founded the Education Hub in 2007. The mission of the Education Hub is to empower educators to find, use, and share research to improve their teaching practice, and then to share their innovations with others. I'm so happy to be discussing this important work that you do. Thank you so much, Nina, for joining me. To begin, could you give us an overview about what the Education Hub does? Sure. Well, thank you for having me, Kinga. So the Education Hub has a mission to bridge the gap between research and practice in education, recognising there's lots of great research happening um, in our universities and at other institutions, but not that much of it is finding its way um, into practice or routinely informing the work of teachers. Um, And also that we've got teachers who are developing really effective practice, but we don't necessarily have particularly good channels or mechanisms for enabling that to be shared. So our work is really focused on that nexus between the two. So quite substantial part of our work to date has been focused on what we call knowledge translation. So that's taking the research on particular topics and putting it into forms and resources that are easily accessible for teachers and are also practical so that teachers can engage with the research but also understand what it means for themselves and for their practice. Alongside that, we also support what we, we call practice-led innovation and improvement work. So working with teachers in schools to improve their practice and to develop new ways of working and importantly, to be evaluating how those are working and their impact and efficacy. We also do a little bit of work around creating what we call thought leadership or research reports on big topics in education that matter. And then the final part of our work, which I have to say, we haven't done a huge amount of work in to date, but we do recognize is critically important is around um, the capacity building piece. So that is actually working with teachers and schools in early childhood 
centres to actually build the capacity of teachers and leaders to be able to engage with research as part of an improvement process or an improvement cycle. Mm, that's amazing. That's really, really important work. And I know that the resources that you, although you're working in New Zealand, but your resources are available to everyone internationally for free, and they can go on the website and download great reports and great resources. Absolutely. And having those resources freely available and accessible is an absolutely core part of mm. the hub's mission. That's great. So you said that you saw the gap between research and practice and education. So can you tell me what that looked like? What did you see? And where was that trigger where you said, I have to do something about this? So I started my career as a secondary school teacher or a high school teacher. And I think I first got a glimpse of this gap when I was actually teaching in the classroom. Actually, I probably first got it when I was doing my teacher training. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do remember, as a, particularly as a first-year teacher, I had these moments of I'd have questions that came up when I was in the classroom about, you know, what should I do about this particular situation? How should I be addressing this? And I found it really hard to find the sorts of information that I wanted and that I needed mm-hmm. um, to be able to improve my own practice. I then went and did a master's and ultimately a DPhil in education. And I remember so clearly during my master's year, just having this, oh my goodness moment, when (laughs) I was starting to read this literature on how people learn. And, you know, there was this whole science around actually the cognitive elements of how someone learns. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking thinking to myself, I wish I'd known this as a teacher. And it's kind of a ridiculous thing to think that I could go through teacher training, I could be a teacher and never have been explicitly taught about Mm. how someone learns, which seems absolutely nuts because it's obviously such a fundamental part of the whole teaching and learning process. Exactly. Um, And once you realize that, then it really does open up that that entire world, doesn't it? But that's exactly it. So often you completely don't know that this exists. I mean, I do remember feeling, I was like, I must have been a bit, I remember thinking, God, I must, I'm a bit stupid. I didn't realize <laughs> that there was all this research out there that's already been done about um, effective teaching practice and about effective learning. And Completely. Yeah, I um, mean, I was also starting my teaching degree when I didn't realize that there was a world of research that does look at, you know, research education and how people learn. And it seems unbelievable now. So you saw that gap and you had that idea that you have to find a way to bring this two together. Yeah. And, and I think just the final part of that puzzle was when I finished my PhD, I um, became a, an academic. And I think I, throughout my whole PhD, I'd been wondering whether I wanted to go into academia. And I was fairly certain that I didn't want to be a full-time academic, but somehow I actually managed to end up um, in academia. And I think what I really realized then was this is not the world that I want to be in full time. I think it's critically important, but I just felt the strength of that divide between research and practice Mm -hmm. really acutely. And I think that was probably what really then triggered me to think I've got to do something about this. Um, I can research it. I can write about it. I can talk about it but why don't I actually try and do something about it? Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And so what do you think is the challenge that contributes to this gap? This is something that I've, of course, as you know, we've discussed before, have been thinking a lot about, about why there's a gap between the research and the practice and 
understanding that there is a science to learning. So what, what, what is your opinion? What contributes to this gap? So I think there are lots of different factors that contribute to it. And I think, I think the first thing to say is it's not the fault of any one group. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's not the fault of academics and it's not the fault of teachers. It's the fault of the whole system that's being built around them. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we just take the academic side, I think that the incentive structures in academia are very much focused on academics doing research, publishing that research in academic journals, communicating that research to other researchers. And the nature of that research, while really important, isn't necessarily designed or communicated in the ways that makes it particularly relevant or applicable to teachers. And I think alongside that is, you know, that more sort of pure side of educational research tends to be viewed more highly in academic circles than your more practical or applied research. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think it takes a particular skill for a researcher to be able to work really well with teachers in practice. Absolutely. And we know that not everyone has that skill. And I think that there are some big questions about what actually counts as research. And that's a really a slightly blurred line. Um, and there are differences between how, say, an academic would view what counts as research versus a teacher. Mm. Um, And then we've also got the questions around funding models in research. And I know that in New Zealand, at least, where I'm currently based, there is very, comparative to other areas, there is very little funding going into educational research or into educational research and development. So your sort of Mm -hmm. R&D work. Mm. And so that is impacting the nature of the research that's going on. I think if we then take a step back and look at it from the other side, what we also know is that sort of researchers are always going towards the abstract and the generalizable, whereas your teacher is always going to want the specific, the practical. So, you know, what do I do about little Jimmy today? Mm -hmm. It's two Um, different worlds, isn't it? It is two different Mm -hmm. worlds. It's two different paradigms. It's two different ways of conceptualizing what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so just within those frameworks, it is hard sometimes to create those connections or to really understand how they fit together. You really need a translator, don't you? I mean, this is two different worlds with essentially looking at the same thing of how do we improve learning, but really they they are in very different paradigms of what's valued and how to present it and how to talk about it, the language that we use. Those are very, very different in these two worlds, even when sometimes they're talking about the same thing. And having a translator between them is absolutely critical. Actually, you and the Education Hub are filling. Yeah, well, thank you for that. And you're absolutely right about that idea of a translator or a broker who is able to try and work between those two worlds to create resources that basically enable, at this stage, primarily teachers to be able to engage in some of those academic ideas and to really explore that academic research. Mm -hmm. But what I'd also say is that, that just making that information available to teachers is generally not enough either. And that, you know, you that's a very much a sort of information transfer model of if the information's available, people can access it. If people access it and know it, then they can make the changes that, you know, we might be wanting them to make in their practice. And I think 
whilst making that information available is absolutely the first step. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't know something, it's very hard to do something about it. But we also know that the knowing doing gap is pretty big in education. And in general, it is not enough just for teachers to know something. They also need that support and need to know how to do something as well. Absolutely. And that is definitely, there's so many different aspects to that. How do you at the Education Hub fill that gap? And how do you bring that together? Because you do put out a lot of really great information, research-based information that is that translator part, but how you make this happen and what's important about it. So I, I would say that at the moment we don't do it well enough. And it's, it's really talking about that capacity building piece. So how do you build the capacity of educators to be able to use this research to change their practice or to improve their practice? And I'm putting it out there that that is the area of our work that we have struggled with the most in knowing exactly how to do it. Um, you know, the work around creating resources that are engaging and usable for teachers is in many ways I mean, whilst it's taken a lot of work, it, it's the easy part of what we do. And we're still really grappling with how we do the capacity building piece. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, I think some of them are around a sort of a question of how you do capacity building work at scale. Because what we've seen is that most of the successful examples of capacity building work with teachers have been with a small group of teachers or schools. Mm -hmm they've been incredibly time and resource intensive. So it's an expert working with those teachers and schools over an extended period of time mm -hmm. to really build that knowledge. And generally on just a specific area of research and a specific area of practice. And then there's also a really big question around whether those, the gains and the changes that occur are actually sustained. And we know that in sadly, actually in many examples, that we don't see that sustained shift in mm. practice when you look out to sort of your five years, your 10 years, a lot of um, factors actually mean that sadly we often revert back. In terms of capacity building, what you mean is how to really take that information and also have the space and the facilitation for teachers to really absorb it, practice it and and be able to integrate it into their practice, right? That's right. Okay. Essentially, it's that process of how do you change teachers' beliefs and practices around a particular area of their teaching practice mm -hmm. um, so that they're actually making some tangible changes mm -hmm. in what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis within their teaching, um, hopefully based on what the research tells us should be happening. But also, I think what complicated about that as well in teaching is that teaching is incredibly context-based mm -hmm. so whilst there are general principles that we know from the research are important for effective teaching and learning what they look like in a particular school setting may look slightly different depending on the nature of the school that you're in um, the students that you're working with elements of the teacher's own pedagogical style. So right. it's not a direct, you can take this, plonk it in a school context and there you go, everything's Absolutely. great. You've actually got to localize it to where mm -hmm. you are as well. No, that's so, so true. And, uh, and that is definitely a challenge because it isn't a one size fits all and there's an art to it. 
taking in a lot of different contextual aspects and also the style of the teacher, which some things work and some things don't. But what do you think is, I mean, this is definitely a challenge, but can you speak a little bit more about the challenges around achieving this mission of that the education hub has of really connecting the research with practice and building capacity? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think, you know, ultimately it goes to the broader question of how do we really see um, long-term improvements in our education system more generally? And this is just one sort of subset within that. And I think if you take a step back and look at it at a systems level, you've got to look at a teacher's career from the time that they're doing their teacher training. And so what's actually going on there? What's the access to different types of research? What's the access to building teachers' research literacy? So their ability to actually engage with that research, like in the teacher training stage. And then you look at, you know, once they become in-service teachers, what's the support that they receive on that journey like? And what's the, the professional development support that different schools are provided with? How does that then translate down into teachers and what teachers are doing and how they're support, being supported to improve their practice? So I think there are a whole range of different things going on at a systems level. And obviously from an education hub perspective, we're just one very small part of a much broader system. Mm -hmm. um, and whilst we have big ideas about, you know, what we really want to achieve and what we want to see happen within education, we are only just one part of that wider journey. And while we can, can have an impact in, with groups of teachers or with groups of schools, think about it on a, say, a national scale, it's much harder to really conceptualize about how you get that impact across a whole education system. And this is something that we've seen in the research for years, is that mm -hmm. question of how do you actually achieve scale in education? It's really, really challenging. It is really challenging in all parts of the world. It seems like the same challenges uh, come up again and again. But what are some of the positive outcomes that you've seen from the work that you are doing? Can you tell me some examples of what you did and what the outcomes are to, to help others possibly be able to also replicate and do something similar? So I think we've seen particularly over the last sort of nine to 12 months, we have seen a really substantial increase in the number of teachers engaging with the Education Hub website and also with um, we run a monthly webinar series, one for early childhood teachers, one for school teachers. So we're seeing a lot more teachers engage with them. And I think what we're seeing is that there, we knew that there was a demand among teachers for accessing more research. But we also knew that there were groups of teachers who were more likely to engage with us, who were already thinking in those sorts of ways. And I think what we're seeing is we are getting a broader range of teachers engaging with us which is incredibly exciting. So it is showing that is interest and there is demand from the sector for this sort of knowledge and for easy access to this sort of knowledge. Absolutely. Um, and a recognition that actually research probably is important to what they're doing. It's mm -hmm. not the absolute answer. There are lots of different pieces of the puzzle, but it's one part of it. And I think what we're also seeing above and beyond that is an increase in the teacher's asking questions around different aspects of research, who are talking with one another about it, who are engaging with one another about it. 
And so from my point of view, that's an incredibly important first step mm-hmm. of building, you know, a good group of teachers. And, you know, obviously we have people, we know we've got people from around the world who are engaging with us, but we have most information about what's happening in New Zealand mm-hmm. with our work. So we are seeing a growing body of teachers who are interested in working in these sorts of ways. That's fantastic. So to me, that's really positive. Yes, it is. You have a glimpse of how they're using these resources in their classrooms and how are your webinars bringing together the teachers? What what are some of the mm. outcomes that you're seeing? That's a really great question. And um, we're actually just starting a piece of work that's looking exactly at that. So we are about to start um, an evaluation focused on the New Zealand audience at the moment to really dig into exactly how teachers and leaders and others involved in the education sector are engaging with and using our resources. Mm -hmm. So really trying to understand what those behaviours are around them. So we do know, and this is more anecdotal than anything else at the moment, but we know that um, teachers are using our resources as part of their school-wide or, or as part of their early childhood centre professional development. So the way things work in New Zealand is that for schools and early childhood centres, they will run a lot of their professional development in-house. So they'll occasionally draw on external experts to support them, but they do a lot of it in-house. And we do know that they're using our resources as a basis for having further discussions on particular topics, Mm. which is a really encouraging aspect. We also know that a lot of teachers in New Zealand use what is called teaching as inquiry. So doing some sort of inquiry into an aspect of their teaching practice with the idea of trialing new things in order to improve outcomes for students. And we also know that um, a lot of teachers are using our resources to help inform that inquiry work as well. That's fantastic. That is really, really good. So what would you suggest to schools? How can they improve the professional development? I mean, we talked about that gap between research informing the practice and practice informing research. What do you think at the school level can happen in terms of improving the professional development of teachers? Yeah, great question. So there's a reasonable body of research around what makes professional development. And a lot of those studies come out with very similar factors that make the difference. So part of it is that professional development should be collaborative. So seeing it as groups of teachers working together rather than teachers on their own, it needs to be um, sustained over an extended period of time. So we know that the one-off workshops or the one-off conferences, not particularly effective in terms of really achieving that long-term shift in practice Mm -hmm. that we're really looking to see. It needs to match need. And I think sometimes we see that schools will put on particular professional development on a topic and it may not be relevant or what particular teachers need to focus on. And so making sure that what schools providing professional development on actually matches what Mm. teachers need. Yeah, it's so important because because they're teaching so many different subjects that they have extremely different needs that... sometimes, you know, you need to dig into a little bit deeper to say, well, how exactly will maybe a new technology that we're using, how does it impact your subject differently? And there is a real need for that context. You're absolutely right. So, you know, you do have teachers in different subject areas who it might be better getting all your maths teachers to focus on a particular area over a period of several months and all your science teachers to focus on another area. But also just building on that, 
teachers with different levels of experience, you know, what a first year teacher needs versus what a teacher who has 10 or 20 years of experience probably going to be slightly different as well. Mm -hmm. And so it's about matching to that. But what we're also seeing is research coming out around particular types of professional development activity that seem to be more effective than others. So instructional coaching is, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of research around the benefits of that. And I think, you know, part of that is having, often having a well-trained external coach who comes in to support teachers. I realize that that's not always feasible in every school context, but there are schools who are trying to utilize elements of the coaching model in slightly different ways. So developing professional learning circles, Mm. teachers videoing their practice and then reviewing that with several colleagues. And we also know that, you know, having conversations around data that you've collected on how your students are doing can also be a really powerful way of identifying areas to focus on within your practice. No, that is incredibly important. I mean, having professional learning circles in schools and in many other workplace contexts is just such an incredibly cost-effective yet incredibly effective method, isn't it? Uh, It often really doesn't take very much to bring people together, give them time, the space, to be able to comfortably discuss, you know, something that they're trying to improve within their practice or something they're struggling with. And to have that happen continuously really does have a huge impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just building on that idea, we know that teachers say they learn most from other teachers. Mm -hmm. And so the professional learning circle is a really great way of enabling teachers to learn with and from other teachers as well. Absolutely. No, that is incredibly effective. So in terms of teachers, what can they do to incorporate the research in their practice and to, to leverage this, um, this resource and to close that gap? Yeah, that, well, that's, that's a great question. I think one of the first things I would say is they shouldn't try to do everything. So there's research on a whole range of topics in education, right? And whilst it's incredibly interesting, it can also get quite overwhelming. And we know that in terms of teachers or anyone trying to improve a particular area of their work or of their practice, it's best to try and focus on just a really narrow area to start off with and say, I'm just going to focus on this particular thing and I'm going to work on it. I'm going to understand what's going on in my practice, how my students are experiencing that, I'm then going to do some reading, upskill myself around what the research says might be effective. And then I'm going to start trying different things out in practice. Mm -hmm. So it's about teachers identifying that area. And I think part of it is thinking about it is we often talk about, you know, inquiry cycles. And I think that cycle idea is incredibly important. So it's um, identifying the area that you want to work on. And part of that, I think, students form a really useful resource for teachers in that area and actually just asking your students how they're experiencing your teaching are there particular areas that they're struggling with are there particular areas that they find enjoyable or think really support their learning so actually understanding what things are like from the student's point of view and then thinking about okay so what's something I can trial in my teaching practice to see whether it makes a difference trial it for a period of time but also really importantly you've got to if you're trying something new you've also got to find a way to actually measure that to Mm. understand whether it's making a difference or a change. And I think 
the measurement questions are really tricky one in teaching and in education. Absolutely. And, you know, if a teacher's just thinking about it in relation to their own teaching practice, I don't necessarily think that they need to be utilizing your research style methodology to do that. And you don't even need to be um, using necessarily validated instruments, but there are lots of different ways that you can actually just be really quite easily tracking whether you are making the difference to the areas that you want to be making the difference on. How would you suggest? Mm, Good question. (laughs) So some of it might be collecting student voice around, you know, you could collect it at the beginning of trying something. You could collect it after, you know, a month. About their experience. Absolutely. It could be, you know, monitoring the work that students are doing. So actually just as part of your sort of formative assessment or assessment for learning, you should, teachers should be, and many of them are, constantly getting some form of data back from their students about how they're learning. So actually just tracking that over Mm. time. You could get a colleague to come in and observe your classroom and to see whether they're noticing any shifts or changes And then, of course, you've also got your sort of more academic side of things. So your tests, your exams and those sorts of things, which do Mm -hmm. also enable you to track a change. And in a way, it's good to think about as you're trying something new, thinking about how you're going to measure it. It's actually a really good way to narrow down what am I actually trying to change? Why am I trying to do this new way of teaching or or new strategy. So actually thinking about how I will measure it is actually a fantastic way of realizing that, wait a minute, maybe it's too broad what I'm trying to do. And I'm sure you got lots of great feedback from teachers as they've been going through uh, different aspects of your program. What kind of reactions have you got from teachers? So overwhelmingly positive. And we've had, it's actually a really lovely part of my job when I get um, emails or people um, tell me, you know, I engaged with this particular resource or I watched this webinar and it really inspired me to do something. And, you know, you've really encouraged me to read more and Mm -hmm. to engage in um, more information. So we are getting some really positive stories out, which is really exciting. And what we're also starting to see is we're getting, um, we've also got a number of the universities who are starting to use our resources while they're training teachers as well, which is a really fantastic thing to see that we're actually getting teachers when they are in that training stage, engaging with research and understanding the value that research can bring to their teaching practice. That's amazing. Well, thank you. And there's so much in this topic to unpack that, uh, that I know we can go on for a lot longer, but I would encourage everyone to, to look at the education hub website, which is fantastic. And you're always coming out with new resources and reports, which are great. But to close off, can you give us a recommendation that inspires you or you think would be useful to listeners in this in this area? What would you recommend? Yeah, so that, that's a really good question. And um, when I saw that you sent that through and you were saying, you know, what would you recommend? And I was thinking, because there are so many different things. Mm. And I think on one level, one of the areas that has really inspired me has been around the research coming out on the science of learning and really digging into the cognitive processes behind how we learn. And there's some really fantastic resources there. But actually, the thing I'm going to recommend is not anything to do with that at all. But it's a book that I read last year. And it really, really got me thinking. Okay. And it's it's called Deeper Learning. Okay. Um, and it's by 
two academics who, well, they were both at the time writing it at Harvard, so Jal Messer and Sarah Fine. And it's basically like an old school, 1970s, 1980s-esque ethnographic study of sort of what takes, what goes on in high schools. Right. Um, and it's absolutely fascinating read. And it's exploring this question of how do we achieve what they term deeper learning. Mm. So really getting students deeply engaged with the content and building those critical thinking and problem solving skills that we really wanted them. And I think for me, what's so interesting is that they look at at different types of schools and how they approach it. And some seem to do a far better job than others. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that comes out is that there's not, not just one right way to teach or to set up a school and that you can achieve the outcomes that we want in lots of different ways. And I think it does a really nice job of showing that there are some fundamental principles that we know are useful for effective teaching and learning across a range of different contexts. Mm -hmm. But the ways in which they are enacted can look quite different in different schools and with different teachers and with different students. And for me, that idea of pluralism in teaching and learning and in education is a really important one. That's fantastic. That sounds like a really fantastic book and a really great read. So thank you very much. Well, thank you so much, Nina, for sharing your insights and your your thoughts and knowledge on this subject. I really appreciate and enjoyed our conversation. Well, thanks for having me, Kinga. It's been really great to talk to you about this. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. 